0: This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org.
1: So this is 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 5. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Well, I have the uh, honor to introduce our um, speaker this morning who's going to um, open up God's word for us. Uh, Tolliver Wills is a An old friend, although it could have been an older friend, we grew up in uh, neighboring hometowns. We didn't know each other uh, back then, but uh, I grew up just southeast of Columbus and Pickerington and just either the next community over or maybe the next one after that was a little town of Baltimore, Ohio, which is where uh, Tolliver is from. And uh, Tolliver grew up there in uh, the middle of Ohio and then uh, went on to go and play basketball at uh, Wittenberg University and uh, where he got involved in campus ministries and then went on staff with Athletes in Action. And then where I did get to know him is he was uh, on staff, or he was the director of Athletes in Action at Miami University for 11 years. And uh, when I was an undergraduate uh, there, and then when I came back to work with Campus Crusade, we were on the same staff team for a couple of years. Uh, Tolliver went on from there to uh, Boston to do his uh, theological training, And uh, planted a church in our little family of churches in New Haven, Connecticut. And then went from there and for the last eight years has been the pastor of Ponce Presbyterian Church in Midtown Atlanta. He is a father of three grown children, mostly grown children. And, uh, and husband to his wife, Sam, who is uh, the best, volley- or best softball player I have ever. I, won- I have two Miami University intramural softball championships, mostly because of his wife. Uh, anyway, let's welcome up Tolliver Wills. And let's pray before we get started this morning. Father, we are uh, very grateful to have Tolliver uh, visiting with us this weekend um, as he was able to speak to us at the men's retreat, but as well to, um, to teach from this passage that Jenny just read to us uh, this morning. We ask for uh, you to speak through him to us, that you would, by the power of the Spirit, would you open um, our minds and our hearts and our wills to hear uh, the truth of the gospel and the truth of the specifics of this teaching for us and, uh, Father, we pray that just for um, your blessing to be upon Tolliver and, and us through him as he teaches. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Well, good morning. It is, uh,
2: in, in many ways, it is good to be home. Uh, and I say that, one, because uh, we lived in this area for a long time. Uh, but most importantly, because I'm a Buckeye. To the bone. And I'm a lonely person in Atlanta, as a Buckeye. And uh, we're we're growing down there, which is good. They really don't like us down there, just so you know. They don't. Uh, They really resent the fact that we're there every year. (laughs) What's I'm like, deal with it. (laughs) It's fun. Anyway. (laughs) Well, it is great to be here. And we had a wonderful weekend with the men this week. And it was a pleasure to hang out with the fellas share together and a great group of men and i really appreciate josh and uh, the rest of the team inviting me allowing to be to be a part of that and uh just encourages me uh to see such a a healthy church that god's really at work here doing a, a mighty work and so it's a pleasure pleasure to be with you um can i pray for us and then we'll dig in together lord Take this feeble man, uh, a man who you've called who's in many ways not worthy in my flesh to uh, represent you. But because of the grace of the gospel and your Holy Spirit, you have ushered us into this opportunity. May you be the one that gets all the fame and glory. May we see you more clearly as a result of our time together in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, and I think it was in 2000, 2000, uh, I had the privilege to take a group of students, college athletes from Miami. We went to the Czech Republic, and we went to, uh, in particular, to uh, Prague. Uh, Just, uh, man, if you could never go, it's a gorgeous city, beautiful, and uh, we got to go to Charles University there, and get to share the gospel, and meet students, and it was at a time where you know they're still trying to get used to being a democracy, and uh, it, was, it was we just had a blast. Uh, it was just the coolest thing, and you know the newest building was like 500 years old. You know it was just it was just surreal being in such a historic place, and I was just excited to be there because I got to see the scene where Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible was by the gate, and then they showed this. I'm like, oh, that's the greatest movie ever, and I got to see it. It was really cool. Um. But one of the interesting things there is we got to meet with students and some of the faculty there. One of the interesting uh, things was to be able to talk about them, their past experience in communism. And the, the, the intricacies of what that was like. And it was interesting. They, they, they really didn't want to talk about it too much. Uh, because I think part of it is that there, there was such a, the state was such a big element in the life of, of the Czech Republic uh, that it was terrifying. Uh, they, they had such sway, such power over people's lives and their minds, and people were always trying to figure out, how do I get on the right side of the government? And so it was very common for neighbors and family members, they'd be telling on each other to the secret police all the time because they just were always trying to find a leg up, an opportunity to be in the good gracious, graciousness of the state, and uh, it just created, as you can imagine, a lot of mistrust. Uh, a lot of uh, people very reserved, very quiet, uh, which is really sad for them because they had a big mouth like me, uh, engaging with them. But as, as we talked with them, there was this sense that democracy felt unfamiliar. It was almost like they were going around like wearing a new pair of shoes; didn't quite fit yet. Uh, didn't feel normal. Uh, didn't feel safe. They weren't sure about the leadership because they'd never really had a place where they had a parliament, where things were, where they were represented. They, they weren't, they didn't, what's represented? was what does it mean to be, a, a, you know, somebody speaking on my behalf? They're used to people telling them what to do, what to think, how to feel. Uh, so everything was just, it was awkward for them. And it really came out. And similar, in much the same way, I think this young church that we're going to read about here a little bit in First Peter was experiencing a very, very similar dynamic. Uh, for as they lived in a Greco-Roman political system, which was very similar, very strong, top state power, Rome, who had the sole power and, and, and uh, source of influence and thinking was driven by Caesar. And that influence would work its way down to the governors, down to all the little positions that you read about in the Gospels. Uh, And everybody was always trying to one-up the other, trying to impress Rome. And so there were, you know, the same dynamic that we saw in Prague was playing out in the New Testament period as well. And in a similar fashion, I think in our own day today, as we look at, uh, the church and how we're dealing with leadership are not dealing with it well, how people are not uh, making use of the calling and the office that they have been given to us, it's created a lot of mistrust. Many of you are familiar with the, the rise and fall of Mars Hill and other organizations, you know, and we, I know in Atlanta, our big uh, real punch in the gut was Robbie Zacharias. Uh, In that whole situation, he's from Atlanta. That was devastating. Uh, I was like depressed for a week. I loved that guy. I loved his teaching, and was gone. Uh, And so there's a there's a we have reason to struggle with trusting the church and its leadership at times. We've earned that because we've seen the corruption. We've seen the abuse at times. Uh, And then never mind on top of that, you just got uh, sorry millennials. But you just, you have millennials and then the Gen Z, they don't even get it. They're just like, church government? Church, why why do I got to be a member? Right? Why are we doing this again? Um, And that's okay. That's just, that's their generation and that's what they're, you're trying to figure it out. But there's a mistrust that comes with that. And I think part of that is because in essence, the church of Jesus Christ and its leaders and from their members at times have not demonstrated the character quality of Humility. We've not been humbled by the gospel enough to appreciate the roles that we play in the body of Christ. And that's what we're going to be examining and looking at today. And in our passage, it's really pretty simple. Uh, Peter says, listen, hey, shepherds or elders, shepherd the flock of God. Take care of it. Feed it. Lead it. Protect it. Don't manipulate it. Serve it. Live with it. Know how it smells, know their tendencies, lead them into the kingdom of God. And then secondly, he says, and you younger folks, those who are under their leadership, submit yourselves to them. Be subject to their leadership willingly. And then finally, as he speaks to both of them, he says, and and, and to be able to do that, you both need to exercise a level of humility an aspect or character quality that only the gospel can give. But here's the question that's that's begged for all of us. It's a problem that we have to answer. Why should elders, shepherd, and young people subject themselves to the elders? Why should we be humble with one another? What's the impetus for that? Because, see, in the Greco-Roman world, there would be no impetus for that because that's not how you get ahead. That's not how you work up the power structures of the culture. And I think much could be said the same thing in our own culture. The solution that we're going to find is basically three things. One is because uh, I just blanked. Sorry. It happens. I'm 53. What am I going to, what I going to tell you? Uh, because of the hope uh, shown to you in Christ. Secondly, because we are not our own. And then thirdly, because God cares about how his people are treated. Let's take a, look, take a look at the first one here. He says, shepherd the flock of God. And then he goes on to say a little bit further there, uh, as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Notice here, he's going he gives us three witnesses or kind of uh, impetus for why it is that he is calling us to and why he has been compelled to be an elder in the church of Christ's flock. First of all, it's just the witness of experience. He is a man, he says, I'm a fellow elder. I'm doing it. I know it's hard. And I'm shepherding and leading and developing leaders wherever I go. So I know the burden that you feel to invest in the lives of others and to help lead them in the way of Christ. Secondly, he gives witness to the fact that, to to the sacrifice of Christ. That what drives Peter to want a shepherd, to lead, to allow the sheep to bite at times? Yes, we know you bite at times. But he says that what compels him isn't the people, it's not the acclaim. In fact, it's often just the opposite. It's because when I look at the person of Christ and what he's done, I'm compelled, I'm driven to want to take care of his own whom he died for. And for Peter, who who was a man who failed miserably, who who knows better than anybody about the grace of the cross. He knows how significant it is to need to be shepherded. For he's seen his own heart not be shepherded well at times. How he was a, a sheep that went astray. And then finally, he gives witness of the glory to come. And I, I love this scene. And he says, that, you know, in essence, he's, he's pointing us back to when him and James and John and Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Do You remember? They go up there, and Jesus pulls them away from all the others. And they go up to the top of the Mount. And all of a sudden, it's as though Jesus took his hand and rent the, uh, uh, the, the curtain of heaven and opens it up, and all of a sudden, there's Moses, there's Elijah, and a lot of bright light. And it, you could just see the glory on Christ and the disciples, and there they are talking. And you can imagine Peter and James, they're kind of looking at it, and they're like, okay, would have been nice for a heads up, but it is what it is. But they're freaking out. You know how I know? Because they're kind of like, you know what, guys? Hey, I think you guys are having an important conversation, and I think we probably should build some shelters so you guys can hop up in there and we're not freaking out as much. I think they were scared of the glory. That the the glory of heaven had broken in, and it was like, whoa, too much, too close, very intimate. It reminds me when Moses would go up on the Mount Sinai and he would get the law and he would come down. And remember, his face was lit up and the people were scared. Why? Because he had met God. And to meet God changes everything. And so they're like, hey, bro, why don't you put a little something on your face? Because you're freaking us out. Scared." And it's this, it's these realities, these witnesses that compels Peter to be an elder of God's flock, to be a shepherd. So when you think about it, when we look at those three factors, we really don't have anything to lose and everything to gain as shepherds of God's flock, to serve in his church, not just as elders, but never other, other levels of leadership, because in, through it, we are have an opportunity to engage more deeply, more fully into the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. We have more of an opportunity to be ushered into those sweet moments when God tears the veil back on a person's life and all of a sudden you see a glory happen and a light bulb go on and and you feel like you're standing on holy ground. And you begin to realize all the sacrifices are worth it. I got to see Jesus show up in people's lives. Many men and women who pursue leadership in the church oftentimes shy away from leadership in the church in general because of the fear of what they might lose. I know for many of you, you've probably been challenged by Josh and the other leaders here at times like, hey, I really could see you being a. And all of a sudden you start backpedaling. Because you begin to think about all the things that would have to be sacrificed to be able to to lead, to participate in helping shepherd this body of believers. And you start thinking, I'm I'd have to drop this. There there goes my bowling night. There goes this and whatever it is. Because you feel like, I'm going to lose so much. You may lose some things. In fact, I promise you, you will. Something has to give, but you will gain so much more. I tell my church all the time, my job here is to radicalize you. I am here to mess your world up. I want to make you so radical, so on fire for Jesus, uh, that people look at you like you're crazy because you've given so much for what the world would say is so less but that you're actually blessed because how you've encountered Christ by serving. Best illustration I can think of to, give, to, to help us appreciate what I'm talking about is in parenting. As you heard Josh mention, I have three children, and I miss them every day. I still have my youngest at home. He's 18, thinks he's 30, and uh, sweet kid. I uh, adore him, but I'm already dreading the day he's going to leave. I will be a pool, a puddle of tears. I miss my kids every day. There's not a day I don't think about them. I miss the sweets running, go to, go to the Sunday school class and running up, Daddy, look at the thing I got, and, you know, just all that stuff. Right? But what, what we often don't see is you look at that little cute little story. is all the late nights, all the gum ear infections, the constant just money leaving your pocket, right? And on and on it goes. And then their bonehead decisions that they make and wondering, are they gonna kill themselves? Or, and it just goes on and on. But you know, in all that effort of investing in their lives, helping them to grow, helping them to try to learn wisdom, helping them to try to know Jesus and grow in him, somehow as you're giving, 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 there's like this unbeknownst to you a deposit being brought back into your heart. It's called love. And you begin to realize you would give your left arm, you would give both arms for your kids because you love them so deeply. It hurts. It's painful. I think that's a little bit here of what Peter is talking about here is that like, you know, shepherd the flock of God, invest in it. And in doing so, what begins to happen is we enter into what it was like for Christ, who gave his life away. He spent time with his people. He loved them. He healed them. He talked to them. He called to them. He rebuked them. And on and on it goes to the very end where he gave his life. Why? Because he loved them. He loved them. And Peter, in, in essence, is saying, follow the pattern. This is what it means to be a leader, to give your life away for the sake of God's people. It is such a joy to see when they begin; the light bulbs start to begin to click, when they begin to make the good decisions, the better decisions, and they begin to enjoy the Lord and see the fruit of themselves learning to begin to give. It's a blessing. It's because of the hope shown to us in Christ. Secondly, but we are not our own people. If you'll look back here in the text, he says that uh, verse uh, I can't even see. You get the sense right away here that this flock that we're called to help shepherd the elders and the deacons and the different leaders within the church is that ultimately, uh, one, we're all a part of it. Even if you're an elder or a pastor in this church or a deacon, guess what? You once were just a sheep. We all are just sheep in the flock. We need to keep remind, be reminded that we are Christ's sheep. There's really only one leader in Christ's church. It's Jesus. He's the king. He holds the scepter. And so we all need to be able to come in light of the church, no matter what area we serve in, with the mindset, this is not mine. We, this body, belongs to King Jesus. We submit to him that we all together are the flock of God and we are all members of it and we all belong to him. In Ezekiel 34, we see the prophet uh, Ezekiel sharing uh, what the Lord God had said to the people of Israel because their shepherds were, were really false shepherds. They, weren't, they were taking advantage of their position and weren't really caring for God's flock. Until finally, the prophet is compelled to say, no longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths and they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out. My sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And then we see in John chapter 10, verse 11, when Christ is talking to his disciples, sharing the parable of the gate and the fence and the thieves coming to steal from the flock, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own known me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay my life down for the sheep. See right here where you get the sense that Jesus wants us to know and Peter has finally grasped the concept that listen, not only is the flock God's flock, not only am I a member of that flock, but yes, I I've, I've been called to shepherd it, but I know it's not mine. There is a chief shepherd There's one I'm accountable to that one day I'm going to have to give account when the chief shepherd returns back to get his people. I'm going to have to give an answer. But it's not just the shepherds of the flock, but it's also the sheep. We're going to have to give an account for, well, how did you do? How did you do interacting with God's shepherds who were given to you to mediate his shepherding in your life see that's that's the the reality that you got to keep in mind here as you're a member of this church your pastors your leaders they hold an office that by the holy spirit they shepherd they provide the shepherding of christ So when they come and speak into your life, where they exhort you, they rebuke you, they correct you, they admonish you, they love you, you have to keep in mind that via the Spirit, that's Jesus talking to you. Amen? Pitiful. Amen? Amen. Got to get you around some black people. You'll do better. I'm teasing We, we all, we, we're, we need that mediated presence of Christ working in, with, and through his church to lead us, to guide us where we need to go. Makes me think of Peter right before Christ goes to the cross and he's, they're by the fire there. And you get the sense that there's this scene where Jesus pulls Peter aside and he says, yeah, Peter, um Here's the deal, man. I need you to feed my sheep. And Peter at this point writes feeling really good about himself. He thinks he is the man. He can do no wrong. He's like, Yeah, I got you. I'll do it. I'll do it. Of course. Anything you say. And then you know Jesus, you can almost get the sense that Jesus is kind of like, yeah, yeah, I think I know you think you know, but you don't know. And let me let me tell you again: feed my sheep. This point, you can almost envision, right? That maybe Peter's getting a little incensed. That, that uh, Jesus, what? You think I'm stupid? I can't hear. He says, "Yes, for sure, I'll, I'll do it." And then finally, a third time, Peter, feed my sheep. We don't really get any more of the scene there, but you cannot help but think, right? That. That would be a message, that would be a moment that Peter would think back to after Christ's crucifixion where he denied him three times. Maybe he needed to hear feed my sheep four or five times. But he remembered that Christ, the good shepherd, gave his life for the flock, even or a coward like him, a coward like you and me, Jesus gave his life. See, this, is, this is the driving vision for Peter. I'll never forget when uh, I was uh, on staff at Miami and was young and arrogant and thought, you know, I worked with AIA. We thought we were the coolest things, walking and crew staff. We just did right? We had all the cool gear, all these cool sweatsuits because we work with jocks, right? And, um, you know, I was great at gathering people, just going out and hanging out and, and connecting with athletes and reminiscing, all that junk. And, but I wasn't doing a great job with evangelism. And to be honest with you, I was a little bit passive aggressive. I hated staff reports, if you, anybody of you been involved with the crew at all, they have these nice little pieces of paper, and they would try to make it douse it up with orange or purple paper. Never worked. And they would ask, "How many times have you shared the gospel this week?" And how many times have you, you know, shared the the bird book, the whole, how to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, and all the how many Bible studies you're leading, all these things. And I just hated that. I just felt like, you know, why are we why are we keeping score, right? Uh, It's not a part of my philosophy of ministry type of thing, right? And uh, I'll never forget one time, and it should have been a a sure sign that I was going to be rebuked, uh, is that uh, Roger said, hey, why don't we grab a Coke at Wendy's? Ooh, I knew something was up. And we get there, and Roger's the sweetest man ever, just... Beaming with a smile, just full of the love of God and love sharing the gospel. And he sat down and we're catching up, talking about the Buckeyes, who he ate it. He's a Penn State guy. And then he pulled out this paper and just goes, yeah, bro, I want to chat a little bit about your staff report. Oh man, I got really uncomfortable. Like, really? Okay, what do you, what do you want to know? And I could feel my defensiveness starting to come to the surface. I didn't want to be graded he began to say, bro, what's, what's going on? Why, why aren't you sharing your faith? And I was like, well, I don't like the fact that you're grading me. I feel like I'm, I'm, being, uh, I'm, on the, I'm being measured all the time. There's no grace. He took the paper back and he opened up his Bible and he turned to this passage right here. He says, hey, bro, he goes, I don't think this is about sharing the gospel. I think this is about your passive aggressive attitude. You don't like being told what to do. And I said, Bingo. Welcome to AIA. That was us. And he began to share and help me to see. He's like, What do you think my role is in your life? Is it just to tell you what to do? And I began to realize, Whoa, wait a minute. No, I don't think so. He goes, Well, where, where do you think God wants to use me in your life? I'm like, Well, Help me grow, help me fall in love with Jesus more, help me share my faith. He goes, Yeah. What do you think I'm gonna do to you? That was the first time I, I never clicked for me that I realized he's not really trying to hurt me. He's trying to do my he's trying to do good for me. He's trying to shepherd my heart. He's trying to give me a heart for what Christ has a heart for, for lost people. So as my, the conviction settled in and the, was breaking in, I started to tear up and the tears began to flow. And thus began a fantastic relationship with a man who was a great shepherd of his staff. A wonderful shepherd to me in my life. And in fact, many of the same principles I learned in him, I still do them to this very day in our ministry at Ponce Church. All that to say is that I needed his leadership in my life. We all need that leadership in our life. It's not always comfortable. But if if that person's walking in humility and in grace, it will be for your good. It will lead you into holiness and dependence upon Christ. We take on a posture of humility in the kingdom because of the hope shown to you in Christ, because we are not our own, and then finally because God cares about how his people are treated. Notice verse 5. He states there that uh, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, it's as, as the elders of your church, your leadership are giving are guiding you, helping you, correcting you, rebuking you, all the stuff that goes on. Um, You know, they're doing it under the headship of Christ, the chief shepherd, who they are connected to and united to in Christ and who you also are connected to them in Christ, via the Holy Spirit. And so when we, as followers of Christ and or as leaders of Christ, when we seek to do harm or hurt or anything that would defame another person, you're not just defaming them. You are hurting them for sure, but you're ultimately hurting Christ because that's his body. This is where I think we lose sight of the importance of the body of Christ. It's not just a cool metaphor. It means that we are united Intimately, deeply via the Holy Spirit. And as such, when you hurt, I hurt. At least it should. And so, as elders, all the more reason why we should be the most humble people on the planet. Because we know, man, that we the power is a dangerous thing. And when you say something, it's not like somebody else saying it. It, it, it comes with a more weight, it can hurt more. All the more reason why we need to be careful and slow and speak gently and kindly with the intention, hey, I'm just trying to help you. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm simply trying to get you to go where Jesus is going. But See, the same is true as well for the member of the church. Right? Your person, your elder, your leader is trying to do the best they can in a broken body, mind, and spirit, trying to be faithful to Christ. And of, and of course, they are not going to be like the chief shepherd. They're human. And yet oftentimes we can look at them and treat them as though and have expectations that are godlike, And we lose sight of the fact, come on, lighten up. They're just like you. They've just been called to this office. They too need grace. They too need you to be, not make their job hard. Because you know what? Just like Israel going from Egypt all the way back to the land, land of Canaan, it, life is full of twists and turns and sometimes it's confusing and it's painful, it's hard, it's exhausting. But guess what? We're all trying to get there together, aren't we? We're all trying to get home. So, in the spirit of what Peter's saying, he says, all of you humble yourselves. Be humble. Don't the journey's long enough. (laughs) Let's don't make it any harder. Let's try to make this thing as smooth as possible. And that means realizing, hey, we both are broken. We both need Jesus. We both need grace. We know you're doing the best you can. We're doing the best we can. Let's keep it moving. Let's keep it moving. Let's take short accounts. If I sin against you, hey, immediately, hey, wait a minute. I think I might have stepped my bounds there. Would you forgive me? If I hurt you? Is there any, how, what can I do to make this right? And the same goes for the people. See, as that begins to happen, what that does is that one that keeps the ship moving. We're not getting bogged down by people nitpicking and fighting and all the other junk that goes on. But instead, we're like, okay, it's no problem. Let's keep it moving. Let's 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 meet again. Let's work through this. Let's make sure we're in the same mind of Christ. But see, the ship keeps moving. We stay on mission. And most importantly, the glory of Christ does not get defamed because we can't behave with each other. So this message here is not just to, others, to all of us. Let's, we're all trying to get there. Let's just get there. Let's do our job. Trust God that he's going to work it out and manifest his glory to us as we go and He will. He will. I mean, I'm just watching up here today, all this amazing talent. Dude, I love watching you play. You're crazy fun, man. I was, just, I was like, man, I bet his kids just adore him because he's just cool. Right? But that's, I got to see his, uh, uh, the, his giftedness, the glory of Christ, him playing. Right? And all of you have beautiful gifts, but you don't do them perfectly. And neither do your pastors. Lighten up. And be gracious and keep it moving. Three points of application. Do you aspire to leadership? Great. Contemplate deeply the work of the cross. Because that's ultimately your template for leadership. Is giving your life for that which is not yours. Contemplate the cross deeply. Secondly, is surrender your life to the good shepherd and his mediators. Some of you just simply need to start with, like, hey, I need to go to my leaders and say, you know what? I'm sorry. I've just been a a burr in the saddle. I'm so sorry. And go make amends, make it right. And perhaps some of you leaders need to go and say, hey, you know, maybe I've been a little strong arm. Go make it right. Don't wait for a problem, go do it now. Because remember, you're both walking and moving towards the same location. We're trying to get there together. And then finally, is take heed to your pride and your treatment of others. I think it's an interesting thing that God opposes the proud. That means you, you just got an enemy. Somebody's not going to put up with how you treat other people. I think we need to take deep heed to that and realize that most likely if I'm hurting somebody, it's my pride, my ego. I want to get what I want. Instead of saying, wait a minute, it's not about what I want. It's about the chief, what the chief shepherd wants. And that forces me back. I don't get, I'm not getting the gospel enough. Because I still think it's about me. And just so you know, you'll be doing this the rest of your life. But that's the gospel. That's the beauty of it. You can keep doing it over and over and over again. Amen. Amen. And we keep it moving. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much just for this time together in your word. Thank you for this beautiful church, these people. And I'm just so, so grateful to see a manifestation of the spirit at work, working through broken men and women to build your church, but doing so in a gracious spirit, bathing in the gospel again and again and again. May that same spirit, may that same template drive this church, they may, that this would be a place of great healing, restoration, hope, hope, strengthening that the city of Norwood and of Cincinnati and the greater Miami Miami Valley might be able to look around and see, man, Jesus is there. I gotta go see him. I've gotta go experience him. May that be what you do here. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.
0: You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycency.org for more sermons and resources. That's
2: NewCityCincy.org. yorg Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.